welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, it is another Womp Womp Wednesday. It's been 10 days since Solomon Thomas has rushed the passer from the interior. And this week, joining me, special guest, specifically crawled out from his three-screened cave he calls an office. It's one of Mr. David Newman. What's up? How's it going? What's up, buddy? Long time. I know, it has been a long time. Uh, You're back, Jared Brown. uh, Should be back next week. He's out doing real-life job stuff. Uh, But he should be back next week. Overrated. I know it's overrated, says the guy who left for real-life job stuff. Get the hell out with that bullshit. Yeah, but my real-life job stuff's not a real-life job. Yeah, fair. That's fair. Uh, So let's talk about the, the... the perfect wompiest of Womp Womp Wednesday. The elegant tank continues. The, the Niners lost to the Packers 33-30 on Monday Night Football. And when you look up the word elegant tank or the phrase elegant tank in Urban Dictionary, a picture of C.J. Beathard crying on the sidelines shows up because this game is the epitome of the elegant tank. The offense went blow for blow with Aaron Rodgers. The defense had some good, some good phases, quarters two and three. But ultimately... The Niners don't sacrifice draft position, and and here we are, and now in uh, the 18th month of one long, elegant tank soap opera. <laughs> um, it was a masterpiece, right? Like this is uh, exactly how the rest of this season. Of beer. <laughs> uh, it's exactly how it would be like best to go. Like I understand uh, fully, like people being very tired of just losing and like we're not here for the elegant tank we just want to win some games like i get it but reality is like this season was lost the moment that jimmy went down and uh but you know the best thing that they can hope to get is uh more draft capital out of that even if they end up you know trading down like whatever ends up happening like that's the best thing for this team long term so even though nobody necessarily wants that fans don't want it coaches don't want it players don't want it like that's where we're at if you haven't figured it out, this is basically a fan's mechanism for justifying the continual kick to the dick yes. that 49ers football has been for about two years. And now, I guess, going on four. Doesn't uh, that Harbaugh, those Harbaugh years feel like a lifetime ago? Yeah, I feel uh, like, uh, yeah, I could have had at least a high schooler since then. <laughs> uh, child. Child. <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> Whatever you say. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the game because it was, man, it, it pretty much oscillated between disaster and decency, especially for the defense. The, the opening drive was basically an unmitigated disaster. Uh, let's talk about that first play for a minute because I, I looked at it, knew that there was a blown coverage, but couldn't really figure out what the hell the blown coverage was. Turns out Jimmy Ward was just Jimmy Warden. So walk me through, David, what the hell happened on that opening Sad. play that allowed a wide receiver to run basically uncovered for 15 yards down the sideline. Yeah, they're not good. Um, I, I think you start with the fact that, um, one, this is a coverage that the 49ers don't run a ton of. And so I think a lot of people assume uh, on most snaps, and you know, a lot of times you can get away with this assumption that they're going to be in cover three, right? That they're going to be single high defense. Uh, that's what their bread and butter is, and that's what they're in in, in the majority of snaps. And six um, out of ten times, it works every time. <laughs> that was not the case in this snap. So, um, you know, they they actually did a, a relatively good job mixing up coverages in this game compared to what they've done uh, in previous games. And I say good job in terms of, like, calls. Obviously, it didn't necessarily go so well in, in execution, and this was one of those cases. So um, they were actually in uh, a quarters look. And so on that side of the field, when you have... Uh, the the route combination that they got, which was a post wheel over there. And so you have Ward as the outside cornerback. You have Colbert as the quarter safety on the inside. 
Um, basically, Ward should end up on what you would call final number one, right? So if you number receivers from the outside in, which is a very common way that defenses are going to account for them, number one's furthest outside, number two inside, so on. Usually, safety's got his eyes locked on number two, corner on number one. But if those guys switch at any point in kind of the route stem, right, and, and the final distribution has them in different spots, that they should be passing that stuff off in a lot of cases as well. And this was one of those cases where it just didn't get passed off. So you end up with two guys covering the post route, no one on the wheel route. And uh, 60, 60 yards later, you know, the Packers are in the red zone and, and ready to score. Then you got a couple of runs. You've got a play where Sherman loses contain that goes all the way down to the one yard line. And then the Green Bay Packers run a play that I haven't seen on film since Varsity Blues. The old oop-de-oop. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but there's a scene in Varsity Blues where uh, Jonathan Moxon, second string quarterback. Mox. Uh, good old Moxie. Classic Mox. Classic. He comes in, good old whipped cream Mox, comes in and he's in practice. He's now the, the presumptive starter and he decides he's going to do a little razzle-dazzle in practice uh, and puts four wide receivers on one side. <laughs> That's literally what the Green Bay Packers did. Uh, and this time there was no John Voigt to grab Aaron Rodgers' face mask and hit him over the head with a whistle multiple times, uh, which is what happened in the movie. <laughs> it it would have hurt. It's a different time back it was then. A very different time. Very different time. Uh, but yeah, they basically put four people out there and the Niners had no idea what the hell they were supposed to do. Uh, and, and all of a sudden it's just an easy walk and touchdown. I mean, this goes back to what we've been saying all year so far, which is, the, the defense isn't being called wrong. The defense is just being played wrong. And, and uh, I mean, this is a scenario where you, I mean, one of the first things you need to do defensively, right, is recognize formation and get lined up properly. Like, that's the very basic first thing that needs to happen. Um, as Eric Crocker tweeted out, like, uh, during the game, there is no world where two over four is okay. And by two over four, that means they had four, the four receivers out there. The 49ers only had two defenders on top of that. Like, that's if, it's just not okay. If ever. you've ever played organized sports, you know that rule. It doesn't it's not just a football rule. If you played soccer and you had two guys on a short corner, you needed to have people out there because if not, one guy was gonna be free. If you're playing basketball, you never yep. leave like it's just any sport, any organized sport that you play that requires defense, you understand that you can't leave someone unaccounted for. Yeah. Uh and so I think it's just kind of some basic stuff. I mean, um, that one is is super frustrating because, again, it's just kind of like some basic recognition stuff that's going wrong. And then you had, I mean, I want to say it was in the first quarter alone, four different coverage busts. Um, it was just, and this is kind of the story for them every week, right? Um, I think that first quarter is is certainly an extreme example of things just going very wrong and very poorly from a mental error standpoint. Um, but this stuff isn't like new necessarily, you know? Yeah. yeah you had another play where the, the Jimmy Graham kind of over route play where he ends up Jimmy Ward or Jimmy Ward, Jimmy Graham annoys the hell out of me because he will take something that is super basic and super easy and then celebrate it. Like he just cured cancer. I mean, he basically was wide open on an over route because Jimmy Ward busted a coverage. He got caught with his eyes in the backfield on play action and he wasn't there to cover Jimmy Ward on, on the over route. Jimmy Ward catches a ball where there's literally not a defender within five yards of him. And he ends up running and, and gets, you know, some some after the the catch yards and then just completely blows up. And he's like, Rah! like, he's just going to, I don't know what the hell is very he's excited, very, very excited for yeah. something that's like, OK, look, I could have probably made that play on Jimmy Ward. 
uh, and I am, you know, not six five. So, so yes, it's just it's it's coverage bus after coverage bus, and I think the question that most Niner fans have, David, is whether or not this discipline, lack of discipline, lack of assignments on football, lack of whatever the hell you want to call it, how much ultimately that feeds up to coaching. I think it's a fair question for sure. Um, I think this is one that is is tough to know because I think there's reasonable scenarios on both sides of it, right? You can certainly argue that uh, it's the player's fault. It's an execution thing. Like their basic job is to know their assignments and, and kind of line up where they're supposed to line up and, and carry out their basic thing. If you get, it's different if you're just getting beat because the player across from you is better, right? Like Greg Mabin, fourth quarter. That's what I'm, I'm looking at there. Uh, it's it's another thing if you're just not in the right place, you're not lining up properly and having these sort of mental errors. And so you can say that, hey, that's on the players. They need to be prepared and and be able to go out and execute their job. The basic you can also ar- say the basic argument here is that Robert Sala can't strap on a helmet and go out and play the game. Yes, exactly. Like he can he can call everything. He, he can have the exact perfect call that you need to stop what they're doing offensively. But if the players on the field don't carry it out, like it doesn't matter. Um, and then there's also the side that, well, they're maybe not well prepared because their coach isn't preparing them well enough, right? They're, the coach isn't teaching them what they need to be doing well enough. And that's why you have this confusion is kind of the other side of that coin. Um, I have always kind of been, uh, you know, I lean more on players, right? I think it's a player's game, especially defensively. Um, it's on them, right? The, the, you, they get credit for making the big plays when they happen and making the positive plays. Like they also are largely going to take blame when things are going poorly. And, uh, you know, I think Robert Sala certainly has plenty of things that you can question about the way that he's handled, uh, things with this defense. Uh, I don't know that like you can lay the, every single problem that's going on there. Like this isn't a case where you fire Robert Sala, you bring somebody else in and this is suddenly a top 10 defense. Like this defense has a long way to go. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing to remember too, is that we always, and fans do this all the time. This is the nature of the, the figurehead that we have to latch onto. We talk about Robert Sala a lot as the defensive coordinator, but the coach that is with the position group more often than not is going to be their position coach. And so to say that this is on coaching, it would mean that Robert Sala is failing as a defensive coordinator, but it would also mean that your defensive backs coach, Jeff Halfley, would be not communicating assignments well, not teaching the playbook very well. It would mean that assistant defensive backs coach Daniel Bullocks is also not doing a good job. It would mean that you have failures from multiple people at the coaching level who have had success at other spots, like Jeff Halfley, for example. He's now survived, what, two regimes, I think? Uh, and, And so you're saying this guy was good in other years with players of comparable or less comparable skill, but now he is all of a sudden less effective. I tend to lean more towards the players as well. And and that's that's really unfortunate because now what we're seeing is we're seeing a regression from some of these players, some players that we thought would be very good that that now all of a sudden, you know, players like I mean, Jimmy Ward played decently okay as a slot corner. He's played, you know, eh, marginally okay in limited play as a free safety. And now all of a sudden a corner, he's just completely going like he just does not know what the hell to do out there. And that part is is a little surprising, like to be honest. That's not really an area that I feel like he's struggled in a whole lot in the past. And no. so, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just uh, you're seeing this from a number of players, right? Jimmy Ward happened to be, you know, one of the the primary culprits in this game, but uh, he's certainly not the only one, right? You had a touchdown to Devontae Adams where 
Um, Adrian Colbert's in no man's land. Malcolm Smith is uh, also kind of in no man's land underneath. And you have uh, an easy touchdown there. Um, this is happening across the defense, right? Like there's no one player. There's no one coach that you put this on. Like this is just a problem when you don't have a very good team. You don't have a lot of, you know, as much talent as you would like to think on that side of the ball. So the defensive game plan, though, wasn't always to blame because the 49ers were able to keep this game close. And during stretches of this game, they were able to keep the game close on the strength of their defense. So this game plan, I think, was also a solid game plan going into the game. This is the second week in a row now that we we have on the show that the, the game plan was actually decent against the team because I think it was. The defensive game plan was one that involved a higher rate of blitzing for the 49ers than normal. They blitzed at about 30%, which is higher than their average blitz rate. It wasn't as high as the uh, LA. I have Clippers in here. Clearly, whenever I see LAC, uh, I think immediately of the LA Clippers. I did not notice that before. That's great. The Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, that was another team that the Niners blitzed heavily because we knew that we had to get to the quarterback and get pressure. Uh, I think Robert Sala understood that the Packers wide receivers core was Devontae Adams and not a whole hell of a lot else. And so you can risk blitzing because your players can actually match up against the likes of Marquez Valdez Scantling and Equinemia St. Brown, which has to be combined more syllables for two wide receivers than on any roster in the NFL. Also, they have, which I don't think, I think he was one of the ones that was hurt, but Geronimo Allison Correct. as well, another receiver on that team. Man. I mean, th- this is like, Great th- names. there's an all, there's an all name team and Equinemia St. Brown is on one, <laughs> uh, but this also must be the all syllable team. This is like the, the, the multi-syllabic team. I don't know. We'll, 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 fi- we'll, we'll, we'll shop the name. Just workshop and we'll that. figure yeah. it out. Initial yeah. ideas for sure. But the defensive game plan did force Aaron Rodgers into some poor throws and lots of throwaways. And, and it kept the game close because the, the Packers offense really couldn't move the ball a whole hell of a lot. And the defense was playing fairly well, especially in the second and third quarters. So I think the, the thing to me with, you know, some of the blitzes and, and different things that we saw from them defensively that we haven't really seen from them either this season or even going back to last season really a whole lot uh, was the timing of a lot of them, right? I think there were some critical situations where they were able to dial up some of this stuff that they hadn't shown a whole lot of and, and have success with it. And I think that's actually really key because I think there's some, uh, you know, a contingent of like fans and, and maybe analysts in, in general where it's just like, okay, we feel like the pass rush isn't very good. And so obviously that means we need to blitz a lot more to generate pressure. And I think there's there's a line there that you need to really play with. You can't just go blitz crazy, especially with the secondary that they have and the problems back there. Like you're just going to leave. If, if you think like rushing four right now is leading to enough blown coverages, like all of a sudden you only have five guys, six guys back in coverage instead uh, like those those spaces become a lot larger, right? And, and the big plays are even uh, become even more frequent. So there is a, a balance that you have to find there. I do think that, yes, that it is something that they can do more of. But I think the timing of that's really key. And that was something I think they got right. You know, the the blitz, the zero blitz that they had with Colbert coming up the middle. Um, I mean, they had a, a cover zero blitz by that zero, meaning no help, right? Uh, everybody that's in coverage is manned up on their guy. Everybody else is rushing the passer. They hadn't done that a single time in the weeks leading up to this game. They did it twice in this game. And uh, so I think things like that, they pulled it out in some crucial situations that really helped them in those second and third quarters. Uh, And that's stuff that I would definitely like to see them continue to do going forward. 
Yeah, and so overall, I think when when you look at the game plan, it had some great wrinkles that kept the team in the game. And, and I think when you look at the other side of the ball, that definitely kept the team in this game with the offense and the way C.J. Beathard was performing in the first half. Holy hell. He was a uh, dude was on fire first half him and the entire offense. They were just marching down the field to great effect. And that deep ball to Marquise Goodwin dude. was an absolute dime. I mean, it was pretty that first half was the best that CJ Beathard has ever played football in his life. Like confirmed pretty much. Uh, Absolutely. I, I can't think of any other way to put it like and they don't get me wrong. They set him up well. Um, you know, they were kind of just clicking on offense right the run game was going well um you know they were able to get him some good open throws you know you think of uh the the dig route to Bourne over the middle that was wide open you know setting him up with with some good throws in that manner um but he was hitting right i mean the the throw on the post a good one like that's a throw that a lot of quarterbacks miss. Like I, I tweeted out the time, like this is something that they should be trying multiple times a game because Goodwin is completely unguardable on that route. It's just impossible. And so you're not going to hit it every time because that's a tough throw for the quarterback to make, right? It's tough to hit them accurately. Even if you get it, you know, in the ballpark, a lot of times it's going to be, uh, you know, maybe underthrown a little bit, giving the defender time to catch up and make a tackle. Like this was on the money hitting him in stride to where he could still maintain separation with the defender and, and get into the end zone there. Um, so really excellent throw. But yeah, I think that first half in general was just uh, kind of the best that we'll probably ever see CJ Beathard play. I mean, phenomenal quarterbacks complete those deep shots like 40% of the time, 40 to 50% you know, of the time. Yeah. And a great like, yeah, phenomenal like, quarterbacks. Like, lead, like that's, that's phenom- like league leading and it's <clears throat> not a consistent thing, right? Yeah. And, and he was able to, to hit that throw. And, and that's not to say that he's going to be able to do that consistently, but this was peak CJ beat hard. He, he absolutely beat the hardest. We're ever going to see this man beat so hard. And of course it was on a night where it, it comes to light that he was in a band and that band was not named Nickelback. I, I think it was a perfect storm of events. Really? He was riding that high and, and, and here's where we're at. We're at, we're at, a, we're at an 88.2 grade in the first half. Uh, because, and that's, I mean, that's amazing. That's near elite. Yeah. If, he were, if he were to sustain this first half of play for a year, he would get $136 million and then tears ACL. Yeah, a top five quarterback in the NFL. Exactly. Uh, and that second touchdown to Goodwin as well. I mean, Goodwin had a blisteringly amazing route. It was great. It, Goodwin, uh, well, I know we'll talk about him a bit more later, but I just, he's, he changes the complexion of the offense. He really does because he makes the defense account for something they don't have to when he's not on the field, both in terms of his over-the-top speed, but also in terms of his route running because he is no longer just that deep threat that you're going to, you know, chuck deep balls to over and over and over again. And, and it changes the way the offense is, uh, the, the way the offense works. Absolutely. Uh, he is, there are very few threats down the field, you know, that can match really what he's become. And, and I think, uh, you know, obviously I think Tyree kill right now is kind of the standard bearer, uh, in, in that role and, and the things that he's able to do are pretty incredible. And, uh, I, I think that we see some of that with Goodwin, right? Just, I mean, the speed is tough. It's just, like I said, on that post, you just can't stay with him. It's just not happening. And, and so when you have that in your bag, and, and like I said, during the game, you know, this was the first touchdown is something that Goodwin's always been able to do. Like that's always been in, in, in his arsenal. It's the second touchdown then that plays off that post that if he can actually run that route well, like he did there, it's it just, 
it's impossible. You know, d- defenders are so worried about staying on top of that deep stuff uh, that it just creates all this space underneath. And so it absolutely is something that uh, helps the offense as a whole tremendously, even if it's not something where he's getting the ball, you know, fed to him 10, 12 times a game. Uh, I think the other player that played well in this game, and, and mostly because of the offensive line, because that's what we know makes running backs go, but Raheem Mostert didn't fumble. Yeah, He's another fast guy. He hit the hole where he needed to. He was able to put some explosion and power behind his runs. And, and ultimately, Alfred Morris, who's the replacement level running back, uh, he's getting plays like one, basically, at this point. He got one play all game, and that one play was an elephant by penalty. And And that's, I mean... I love the story of Alfred Morris uh, and his, you know, his Mazda, his Bentley. Yeah. It's great. He's a great human, I'm sure. But I'm okay with Raheem Mostert getting more snaps. It, I mean, he's, he's a track star. I'm going to yeah. channel my inner Kyle Madsen here uh, and say that Raheem made the Mostert of that opportunity. Oh, man. That's, I'm, I'm actually a little mad at myself that I didn't see that. <laughs> I, I should have seen that coming. And as soon as you said Kyle Madsen, I should yep, have seen you that. You should have known. God damn Absolutely. it. Yeah, pun, pun wars with Kyler are always the best. I love uh, him. He's great. I yeah. love him. Uh, but, but yeah, so I think I, I'm, I'm, I'm here for most of getting more carries. I, I think the team needs more explosion. It needs more speed, and wherever it can get it, it should put it on the field. And, and Mostert is an explosive guy. He yeah. really is. And, and so I'm glad that he was getting snaps. I'm glad that he was able to produce, and I'm glad the team put some trust in him despite the fact that he put the ball on the ground last week. Definitely. And I think, yeah, it is worth mentioning, like he was great, had some really good runs, you know, where he was able to create actually some stuff on his own, make some guys miss, you know, and and get some positive yardage that might not have been there just based on how it was blocked up. Um, But I think this is the time, you know, obviously, especially when I'm on, don't necessarily like to talk about the run game a whole lot. You know, I I think that uh, it's definitely more important to discuss what's happening in the passing game. But obviously, they're playing very well in that phase right now. The offensive line is is definitely the main reason for that. Like Brita, Mostert in this game, you know, have have definitely been great and, and made their plays. But this offensive line is doing just phenomenal in that phase. At some point in the future, maybe in like, I don't know, 12 months or so, we're going to have the lead in a game. And... It'll be kind of useful. Talk about able, next season. Yeah. yeah, it'll be it'll be useful to be able to run the ball at some point. Great 2019 <laughs> skill to <laughs> yeah. just like hang on to. We could just like tuck that one in the back pocket and yeah. save it up. Yeah, it'd be, yeah, it'd be good. It'd be good. But ultimately, in this game, the team just fell apart. They couldn't put it all together. And this is what happens when you go up against elite quarterbacks. First, you get CJ Beathard coming back down to earth. He was the textbook of regression to the mean in one whole game. He played out of his mind for one half of football, had a near elite grade, and then comes back down to earth in the second half, and his grade was just 38.2. Uh, it's probably epitomized by his arm punt on that zero blitz from, uh, from Green Bay. Near, I'm not going to lie. I disagree with that. I don't well, have an no. issue with that. See, I don't have the issue with the decision. The decision was not the problem. I thought the decision was actually quite smart. You've got a fast wide receiver. You've got a zero blitz. You hit that, game's over. And I think you're going to be able to do that, especially with pressure coming off the edge. You, ha- you only have time for one thing, right? The issue was where the ball was located. It was located the one place it couldn't be located, which was inside and a little short. You got to throw that deep into the outside if he's going to be one-on-one w- with where the player was defending. I don't even think the ball location, to be honest, was that big of a deal. I think um, that was one of those plays that was just a much better play by the defender than what it was for. So I think... In that that place, I mean, leading up to it, right, there were a number of mistakes that he started to make. On the first drive, 
uh, you know, in the third quarter there, the third down play right before they kicked a field goal, got away with what probably should have been a pick six ball. Basically, the defender jumped the wrong route and uh, ran right by the ball, uh, essentially. Like, this was a play that should have gone to the house the other direction. Um, the defender just kind of misplayed it enough to save him. And so you have that, still end up getting a field goal on that drive. You have another third down. I, I don't know. I think it was the following drive or, or maybe the one after that. It was early in the fourth quarter where you have uh, George Kittle wide open in the flat for an th- easy third down conversion, probably gets it uh, down inside the 10 by the end of that, and he that sails um, it. run. Airmailed it. Airmails it over the top of his head. Um, so had some inaccuracy problems uh, that, that really kind of cost them in some key situations leading up to it. And then you get to that final play. And so I think... One, you know, there's a lot of people saying that you should run the ball. I think that would go uh, would be I've, I would feel very hypocritical saying that they should have ran the ball uh, to to no. waste clock in that situation. <clears throat> I, don't right? because, I don't think they should have ran the ball at all because the Packers were selling out for the run entirely and they weren't able to yeah. run the ball at all. And, and they were running into double A gap blitzes. They're running in all manner of blitzes because the Packers knew that we were going to try and run the ball out. And, and run out the clock, and they were ready for that. They were prepared for that, and the running game completely stalled in the second half. You you have to pass the ball there. Yeah, and, and even if that weren't the case, right, this is one of those situations where running the ball to kind of limit the time, and, and at that point you're hoping for a long field goal you're, or you're playing for overtime against Aaron Rodgers, who has just been destroying you. So, uh, like, those aren't good outcomes either. Like, throwing the ball, trying to get a conversion uh, and trying to end the game on that possession is absolutely the way to go, especially when you're an underdog on the road being competitive in a game that you honestly probably had no business being competitive in in the first place. And so I think that the decision to pass the ball initially uh, is, is completely the right decision in that case. And then, yeah, when you get even more narrow into that specific decision and, and how that play unfolded, I still think it makes sense because... Uh, again, with at least the play that they had dialed up in that case. And you can maybe argue that they should have had a different sort of uh, route concept going, and and that's another conversation. But for what they called, there was no other option. Zero blitz uh, in a lot of cases, in most offenses, is your go deep. Like, that's where they're vulnerable. A a lot of times, especially in that alignment that Kevin King was in, uh, playing a little bit off, he's wanting to play top down and really drive on the underneath routes because you're expecting them to get rid of the ball quickly to some sort of hot route, right? So a lot of times you can catch that defender out of position because he's coming down expecting the slant or the you know the quick inbreaker there, and then Goodwin's running by him and he's putting six on the board. King just played it incredibly well. He cut the route off. Um, the The ball was fine. Like, it was, was it perfect? Could have had a little bit more on it? Maybe. But this was really a situation where the defender got on top of the route, cut it off, prevented Goodwin from having a chance to get to the the catch point, and then made a play on the ball once it was there. And and sometimes you just have to kind of tip your hat to the defense. There was nowhere else to go on that play. If he holds onto the ball even for another half second, he's he's getting drilled and going down for a sack. And the other reason that that decision wasn't terrible is that even if it does get picked, and it did, it got picked at the 10-yard line on third down. It's effectively an arm punt. I mean, I don't know that you could have necessarily gotten a punt that was downed, you know, near that 10 area in a better fashion than you did. with. with Yeah, you're probably not getting it that close. Yeah, exactly. So so I think the only other thing you lose there is a little bit of time. But you've got to think that your defense has got to be able to hold them at least a little bit. Dear Um, God, if you can't prevent 90 yards in a minute like that's uh, that's rough. But (laughs) yeah, you know, at that point they weren't you know, there was 90. It wasn't 90 yards because at that point it was tied. Right. It was 30 to 30. 
Ah, uh, right. Yeah, field goal range. I mean, yeah. they still ended up getting like 80 yards on the drive. Yes, they so. did. Well, and they did get 80 yards because of good old Greg Maben. So I feel like I, I cursed the dude because last week I'm sitting here talking on the podcast about how in limited snaps he's played well. He had only like 26 or some odd snaps or 50 snaps on the year. And, and his coverage grade was very, very good. He's played overall very, very well. He's had some nice plays that flashed on tape. But this is where sample size matters because, yes, it was limited snaps. I thought maybe that explains some of the rotation. Well, guess what? Now you've got uh, one curious decision, which we'll get to in a little bit with the Keller Witherspoon, where he's not playing. Jimmy Ward does very Jimmy Ward things, and he gets injured, has a strained hamstring. And that means that you've got Greg Maben now playing in the rotation against Aaron Rodgers, and that decision does not go well. As I'm sure you know, Aaron Rodgers basically said, uh, let's run the play where we pick on Aaron Maben, th- or uh, Greg Maben, three times in a row, and, and ran it to great success. Three plays over and over and over again. One of them, poor Greg Maven was in the slot. He can't even hide in the slot. Uh, and, and I think there was one on each side, too. Each yeah. side of the field on the outside. Uh, just nothing. Yeah. Nothing that he could do. And, and I think, again, this just highlighted San Francisco's talent deficiency in the secondary. It highlighted how deadly precise Aaron Rodgers is, irrespective of who his wide receivers are. Because, yes, I was poking fun at the, the all-syllable team here not too long ago. But Equinemius St. Brown had a pretty good catch on the back shoulder. And, and when you've got a really, really good quarterback who gives his wide receivers a ball that is very catchable in a situation that they can practice, well, that's what you end up with. And, and poor Greg Maven got the brunt of it. It, it was rough, man. Uh, I think this is obviously a conversation, you know, for much later than now. Um, but this is honestly the exact reason why you're always, why you always should be looking to add talent in the secondary. The secondary, I think a lot of fans were very high on, right? Uh, Colbert played well in a limited sample last year. Um, We were all, everybody was on Witherspoon, right? I thought he was, he was my breakout player on defense, thought he was going to be great. Turns out he's still kind of going through some stuff and going through some struggles, not quite ready yet. And then you're left with a secondary that's honestly been the worst secondary in football throughout the first six weeks of the season. So uh, this is why you always want to have talent at that position because you need like injuries are going to happen things are going to happen that you don't expect you need guys back there and right now they just don't have the players in the secondary that are playing well and they are getting taken advantage of at nearly every turn I mean it's easy like honestly Sherman's getting a ton of uh, credit right now because nobody's throwing at him and it's like Sherman's been fine like he hasn't been bad by any stretch he's made some great plays um, he he's been fine but it's mostly everybody else is so bad like why worry about throwing at the one good player in the secondary when we can go to any of the other guys uh and basically get free yards anytime we want so i think that's a you know been a big problem and in this game it was just highlighted by ward and maven taking the brunt of it at this point what do you think explains akella witherspoon not getting a single defensive snap in the game against green bay this is a game where you know you're going to need secondary help because the, the Packers play lots of three and four wide, and they did in this game. I mean, that's basically their base formation. This is a player that you thought had enough talent in the league to draft in the high third round. I mean, it was like a second pick in the third round. Yeah. So he's basically a second rounder. This is a player who you knew was raw coming out of college because he had one year of, of high school ball. He then went to one year of junior college. And then it didn't really play a whole hell of a lot his first year in Colorado. Got progressively more playing time until he became a full-time starter his third year at Colorado. In other words, he's not played a ton of football. 
but you think he has got a rare size, uh, a rare blend of athleticism and size, and he probably needs a little bit of seasoning. You bring him on early. You play him after a few games last season. He plays very well over 12 games, and he has his best game against Philadelphia, which is not an easy team to have your best game against in 2017. And this year, after two games, you see a couple of penalties, a couple of maybe blown assignments, a couple of bad plays, and you're like, hmm, this Greg Maben guy, let me give him some snaps. What, what, <laughs> what, what is that logic? Walk me, like, create a world in which that is okay. Because in my world, he played zero snaps against Green Bay. Zero fucking snaps. He played nine special team snaps. He got concussed on the final snap of the game. So it's not like he was injured during the game. He's not working through an injury. He was healthy enough to play on special teams. He wasn't on the injury report that, you know, if he's working through something, it might be hurt feelings, but it's not anything that's on the injury report. (laughs) There, there is no, in my mind, this is another one on the notch belt of like, these are the things that do frustrate me about Robert. Sala. these personnel decisions that seem to have no basis when you know that like, okay, the team thought enough of this guy to draft him as effectively a late second rounder, and he's played well. He has talent. He's athletic. He needs to develop into a corner that can play in the NFL, and even corners like Marshawn Lattimore are coming back down to earth. You let them keep playing. You let them keep fucking playing. You don't sit them down and pull them because you want to play Greg fucking Mabin. I mean, yeah, uh, pretty pretty much. I, I think the only scenario where it does make sense, right, where where you can uh, kind of justify the way this has played out is if there's an injury. Like, I think injury is the only thing that you can possibly fall back on. If there's something that's just not being disclosed or uh, whatever the situation may be, that's the only scenario where it makes sense. Because in any other world, uh, you're absolutely right. It, it, it is There is no justifiable way after the way that Ward and Maben, you know, played, especially in this game, you know, Ward busting assignments multiple times, Maben just getting flat beat, right? Just having guys across him be better. And you have a player, especially at a position that you need to let guys play through stuff. You know, you, you can't have, I think, uh, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before the the show and it's like, I think in nearly everything, right you're not going to perform well if you're fearful of making a mistake and you just have that kind of like hanging on your conscience the entire time. Well, if I do this one thing wrong, I'm screwed and I'm going to be out. Like, of course you're going to do that one thing wrong. Like that's how you have to have like as coaches, they need to be giving him the confidence that like, Hey, we're going to stick with you through some of these bad stretches early on because we believe in your talent. We believe in your ability. I mean, this was, uh, you, you say the same thing about Solomon Thomas, right? In this last draft class, you got three players with your first three picks that you expected to be basically pillars of your defense, this remade defense at each level, right? Got one at each level of defense. And these are the guys that we want to build around going forward. And you're just like completely abandoning two of them. And one of them's the other one's not playing all that well. So I, I think, yeah, the fact that you have Witherspoon not getting any snaps when he seems to be healthy enough to at least play on special teams, the fact that Solomon Thomas didn't get a single interior snap, not a single one. That's not just rushing the passer. That is just in general. He did not line up once in between the tackles in this game. And 
If you've watched Solomon Thomas play football at basically any point and can't figure out that that is where he is best suited, like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, there's just no help for that. And to have him play, I think, what, 20-something snaps in this game and your interior rotation basically be boiled down to, we've talked about over and over the importance of having many players go through this. You have Buckner, Sheldon Day, Earl Mitchell. Those are the three players that you gave basically 99% of your interior snaps to. That's it. Armstead got like one or two. uh, And then Ronald Blair got the other one. And that's it. Otherwise, it was those three players. And you can't tell me that Earl Mitchell is better than anyone at anything on this defensive line right now. Dude, I watched a dude get like moved 10 yards off the ball on a double team on one of these plays. Like he's not a good nose tackle. He's not good against the run. He doesn't rush the passer better than Thomas or Armstead from the interior. Like there's no reason he should be out there yet. He's this like second or third leading snap getter on the interior. So those are the things. If you want to uh, rage on Robert Sala, like these are the decisions um, that I think are are very questionable and, and very difficult to defend based on what we've seen on the field. Yeah. I'm, First of all, it took me a second to figure out who the hell EFM was when you texted to me. Earl fucking Mitchell. There it is. Uh, second of all, I I don't I don't know that I buy the injury argument because if my corner, if my basically my third round pick corner is injured, I, I put him on the injury report and I don't play him, and, and I play Tarvarius more or I play someone else because I'm putting him on kickoff return team. Think about it. Yeah, that's it, safe. Yeah, exactly. That's the safest special team to put him on. Kick off fucking return. Yeah, that's going to protect his injury. Like what? He's got a rib injury, ankle injury. What injury could he have where you're like, you know where we're going to hide you? Kick off return. That's the one. Um, Man, if, that, if that's the thought process, I feel super bad for a Keller Witherspoon. They right? are trying to they're, they're basically, break him. Yes, exactly. And the dude's already built kind of twiggy. Like it's not like he's going to stand up to this for very long. It, it just, it, it, I don't. As much as I would love to buy that argument, I I just I don't yeah, I, I mean, don't buy that there's an injury argument. I I buy that the team it doesn't know what to do because they don't think he's playing well, and and so they're trying to find other things that work. And, and if that's the case, then I don't know that they understand how player development works. You have to play in games to develop. You ju- you can't do it in practice. You just can't. Yeah, I mean, especially now, you just don't get enough practice reps, and that's like in season, it's definitely not happening. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I think uh, it's it's been tough. I mean, and especially, I think this goes so counter to in so many ways the 49ers with with Shanahan and with Lynch have seemed very self aware of their situation, right? And and they know where they're at. They know what's realistic with where this team is at. It, it kind of the different phases they've been in and they've they've acted accordingly in, in most like issues when that's come up. This is one of those that just doesn't make any sense. Like continuing to play um, Ward as much as like, look, we've given Ward a lot of props on this podcast for a lot of years. Like I like him as a player. I hope he goes elsewhere and latches on and finds a role that finally like suits him and actually allows him to be in that one role for don't a worry time. pete carroll will pick him up and um, he'll be fine he'll replace earl thomas and be oh marginally God. effective but this is this is one case where it's just like again uh unless there is just a, a, a very significant piece of information that we just don't have right now there is no way to justify some of the decisions they're making personnel wise defensively all right well let's get to some happy things because i could keep raging about this for i don't know at least a whole nother beer <laughs> uh so let's talk about the spotlight player for this week and that's going to be none other than flash himself mr marquise goodwin his 88.4 grade was highest on the day 
His route running was obscene. It was just filthy. His second touchdown was a masterclass in separating at the top of the route with precise route running. His deep post, of course, flashed his speed. He completely changes the complexion of this offense. He is a phenomenal human being, and he went to the University of Texas at Austin. I'm holding my Longhorn alumni koozie because this is the only football I have at this point is the Texas Longhorns. And they, they just about robbed my quarterback from me this week because he's got a shoulder say, sprain. I was going to say, yeah, you better hope that Ellinger comes back or uh, might not be looking great there. Either. Yeah, but I've got, I've, got, I've got top 10 football somewhere to watch <laughs> at least this year. And it's the goddamn Longhorns. So, so yeah, so Marquise Goodwin, he is our, our Spotlight Player of the Week. Second highest graded receiving grade uh, this week just has been like watching his transformation from the player he was leaving Buffalo when they signed him as a free agent and uh, what was a very limited player who who honestly like in his reps like prior to signing with the 49ers did not show a whole hell of a lot beyond the ability to run fast and seeing him kind of turn into the like a full receiver like an actual real receiver with real receiving skills uh has been a lot of fun to watch and i think that second touchdown you know mentioned it earlier is is really so representative of that because i mean that's a like julio kills julio jones kills people with that route on a weekly basis it is basically he has patented that route right shanahan offense thing uh, but like that's his thing. He kills people on it. Adam Thielen starting to kill people on it now. They're running a lot. Like the high end receivers are, are what's getting this, and, and it's and it plays off his deep speed so well. And and it's just like for him to be able to get that wide open and just destroy defensive backs with route running is is such a, a departure from what he was a year and a half ago. Um, that yeah, it's just you can't give him I think enough recognition for the player that he's really developed into. Marquise Goodwin's development as a wide receiver is exactly why you should keep playing a Kello fucking Witherspoon. Let's move on to the game preview. <laughs> <laughs> All right, David, let's get into our feelings. Let's get into this. Uh, let's get into this game preview because it's going to be. It, this may be the first time the NFL institutes the mercy rule in the NFL. This game, Niners versus Rams. It is, well, the the hottest team in the NFL going up against eh, one that's not bad. Not, that's not bad. One opposite. of these teams is super fun. So yes. There's one that. of them is super fun. The other is super fun to yell about. Let's, <laughs> uh, the, the Rams enter this game as the hottest team in the NFL. They are the last undefeated team. Their offense is first in per play efficiency in the league. Goff is on pace to finish with 10 adjusted yards per passing attempt which would put him in the top 10 for a single season in NFL history. Todd Gurley is on pace to win your fantasy league single-handedly just by himself. Like there's actually, you think you're in a 12-team league. It's actually a 13-team league. That 13th team is just Todd Gurley, and he's about to beat everyone in the league. You will be the sacco because Todd Gurley is in your league (laughs) is basically what it comes down to. Um, and, And here we are, the Niners, up against the buzzsaw that is the the Los Angeles Rams. And uh, it's, I mean, it's not going to be fun. So earlier in the season when I was still working high school games. Um, which I still chuckle about. <laughs> uh, which thankfully is not a thing that I, I do a whole lot of anymore. Um, but there's a great thing in high school football where, you know, if, if one team is just up, I want to say it's like 28 points in the second half. They just go to a running, running clock. clock. 
and you get like 12 play fourth quarters, it's incredible because you're just like, man, I don't want to be doing this work anyway. So like, let's get this shit over with. I mean, the off- it's hard to say like the Rams offense, right? I think that side of the ball, there's not a whole lot to say. I mean, you can get into uh, uh, just a ton of fun, different things that's going on with the Rams offense. They do very well. Um, the fact is they have the best offense in the, in football right now by a pretty significant margin. I mean, the chiefs have obviously still been very good, but uh, I mean, the difference in our grading uh, right now, as far as like team offense goes, the Rams are, are well above everybody else. And uh, I, I just think that like with the way things are going defensively for the 49ers that we just spent all this time talking about, um, there's very little hope, like at least with the Packers, right? Uh, I would have said the same thing. I mean, I, I remember thinking like, oh, their Packers are going to blow them out too. But with the Packers, it's really Aaron Rodgers and then a bunch of incompetency around him. Um, so there's at least a scenario there that you can kind of play out like, well, if it happens, like this is what it would look like. I don't know what that scenario looks like against the Rams. Well, I think if you're going to look at some of the wrinkles that are, are interesting for the Rams and maybe an area where the Niners can succeed, you're going to look at play action. You're going to look at first the Rams successful usage of play action. So Justice Mosqueda wrote a really interesting article this week about how the Rams utilize run action and specifically run action or play action from under center. He said that the Rams the Rams basically run uh, play action 95% of under center looks, no matter if it's a tailback handoff, an end around or a motion man or a play action pass. So basically, if the Rams are lining up under center, they're running some kind of play action pass if they're indeed going to pass over the last three weeks. The Rams have thrown 39 passes from under center. Every single one of those passes included play action. What they're doing is they're they're keying in on one very, very specific thing, and that is that play action helps your offense be efficient. Quarterbacks perform better with play action. You don't have to run the ball well in order for play action to be successful. You just have to threaten the fact that the run exists. That's all you need. And the Rams know this, and they're capitalizing on that. The Niners could absolutely die single-handedly just because of this one fact because the Niners haven't played play action very well this year we saw it against the Packers every single time Aaron Rodgers looked like he was going to hand the ball off the linebackers basically sped towards the line and it completely screwed up a lot of what the Niners were going to do especially in the middle of the field this is why good quarterbacks take advantage of the middle of the field when it comes to, to throwing the football so if if the Rams are going to succeed they're going to continue to succeed doing what they do best and that's going to be leveraging play action but one of the types of play actions that they love to do, because they, they're an apple off the Shanahan tree, is they love to take those turn-your-back-to-the-defense shot plays that Shanahan loves to do as well. If you've watched the Niners, you know them. I mean, hell, Marquise Goodwin just scored on one uh, this week against the Green Bay Packers. But what the Niners started to do against Green Bay was they started to send and blitz players off the edge to basically blow up those turn-your-back play action passes. And if the Niners can stay similarly aggressive against the Rams and start blitzing and be comfortable with mixing their coverages and go into uh, the same kind of game plan they had against the Packers, then they might have a fighter's chance. And that's where ultimately I think the Niners are going to live and die by play action, live and die by blitzing. Look, if you lose by four or you lose by four, you're, you're still going to lose. Might as well just go down punching. <laughs> I mean, that's one way to put it, I suppose. Um yeah, I don't have even a lot of hope, honestly, for the play action stuff uh, that that's going to go out well. right now. 
Jared Goff is the the second highest graded quarterback that we have when using play action. Only Phillip Rivers has been better, um, and they're using it more than any other team. He has the highest play action percentage overall, not even just, I mean, obviously it's a very high number under center, but just uh, across all plays, the highest percentage. Are they using like north of 40% on all uh, passing plays? Right at 40%. Yeah, yeah last time I looked, uh, and I can pull up here in a minute, but it was, yeah, like 39.5%. Yeah, or I would have guessed it was somewhere ballpark. near. So basically four um, out of 10 times they throw the ball. Which is just absurd. Um, yeah. And it shows, I mean, before, for some reason, it's it's kind of taken a little bit of a dip with Beathard, but Garoppolo is, is next on that list. But even that was still a decent distance below it at like 33%, give or take. Um, so it was in that ballpark. Uh, the 49ers defense, though, their coverage grade against play action is the fourth worst. Um, so it hasn't been great. I mean, they have the worst coverage grade overall, so it's not surprising that, you know, no matter kind of what's hey, it's fourth worst. So, the yeah, cut- <laughs> maybe that's better. Right. I guess. Sure. Uh, it, I mean, it's going to be bad no matter like how you slice it. They just haven't been able to cover anyone on the back end there. Um, it, it's, it's been very rough. Even their pass rush though, like still hasn't been like their pass rush isn't significantly better again, uh, on play action plays than it has been in, in any other plays. So it's, it's going to be tough. I mean, I think again, there's just not a lot of weaknesses on this Rams offense. The offensive line has been playing very well, obviously Gurley and everything that he brings to the table, uh, is terrifying against this defense right now um and then the passing game and and the things that they've been doing with mcveigh and and it's not even just the scheme i mean the scheme's incredible but goff is is playing out of his mind he's you know our third highest graded quarterback right now uh ahead of even aaron Rodgers. like he is making some incredible downfield throws um and is just playing super well so i think that side of the ball is going to be tough i think they do have actually though a chance of maybe doing some stuff offensively. I think this defense is, if you're looking for a reason for this to stay close, I think it's because the offense plays well. CJ Beathard is able to have another good game. Shanahan does his thing and, and create some good opportunities for them. And they take advantage of, I think uh, the cornerbacks were expected to be very good. That hasn't gone so well due to a number of, uh, of things, but yeah, I think that's the area that you really look that they can maybe have some sort of advantage. Well, that's why for me, the matchup to watch is going to be Marquise Goodwin versus the Rams secondary, because if the Niners have are going to have a chance in this game, they I don't know that they're going to hold the Rams under, I don't know, maybe 24, 28 points. Uh, Impossible. They, they, yeah. they, they what do they average at this point? They average over 28 points a game, right? They just scored 23 versus Denver. And and part of the reason that Denver was able to hold the Rams to such a low total was because they were able to get to Jared Goff. Uh, Chubb had one of the best games of his young career at this point, and and that was what I think held the Rams to a, a relatively low-scoring affair. But yeah, they've old, been averaging um, just shy of 33 points a game. Good, great, Google uh, Moogly, Jesus. Yeah, is, is second um, behind only the Chiefs. The, the Chiefs, Chiefs are scoring yeah. More yeah. Points. Who are the chefs? So I think <laughs> I think that if the if the Niners offense is going to keep pace or at least try to keep pace and we're going to get another one of these fantastical, you know, for what was a 41 to 39 games uh, in Shanahan's oh, the, first season, the yeah, Thursday yeah. night game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If we're going to get another one of those, it's because it, Marquise Goodwin's going to have a huge game against the Rams secondary. Akeem Talib's on injured reserve. Troy Hill is going to play opposite Marcus Peters. And and even if Marquise Goodwin is going to be faced up against Peters, Peters has not had a good year so far this year. Of course, the story for the Rams going into the season was they were the dream team on defense, and they had to leave. And Peters, and of course, 
This is why, again, it doesn't matter how many great coverage defenders you add. You can never have too many because when the person you trade for to keep Tlaib goes on IR and Peters maybe has a down year, it helps to have someone like Nikel Rolby Coleman in the slot who's still playing very, very good football. It helps to have players that can fill in. You always want to draft quality or have quality corners in the league. It's one of the most valuable, if not the most valuable position on the defense. So if the Niners are going to have success, it's going to be because... Bethard has another above average game and Marquise Goodwin completely balls out because he is going up against inferior corners. He is the player that's going to have to ball out if the Niners are going to succeed or George Kittle going up against the lesser than great coverage defenders in the middle of the field. Yeah, that's, that's what Denver did. If they can get him on line, like Kittle on linebackers in this game should be very good. Um, if, if the Rams are smart, they will uh, look for every possible way to get a safety on him because their safeties are much better. Um, LaMarcus Joyner is kind of more their deep guy uh, and he's been fantastic. But John Johnson, the third is their uh, their more strong safety. Uh, yeah, not a you know great name for him, I guess, but. Uh, he's been playing great. He's a second year guy um, that, it, that that's really just kind of um, been awesome for them. So he's the guy that's been p- their primary coverage defender on tight end so far. The best person in that name. So I'm just thinking about the first, the second and the third. Really, the best one is John Johnson, the second, because it's John Johnson and there's two Johns in the name. And then it tells you there's two of them by labeling them the second. Like, that's the guy who hit the name jackpot. John Johnson the second is really the true hero here. <laughs> it's not the third. The third, that's just, you know, that's, that's the, the straight-to-DVD movie that got put out. <laughs> the second one, that's, that's the one The second right one, there. box office hit right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he's, I mean, he's the guy that they've looked to get uh, matched up on tight ends most often, uh, which makes sense because, again, their linebackers um, really aren't all that good. Um, I think the other interesting thing there as well, you know, we talked about it a little bit earlier, uh, but just how well the 49ers offensive line has been playing, uh, I think is, is very encouraging. Um, Lake and Tomlinson has really, you know, we, we talked about there were, there were all these things that we saw over the last five games when Jimmy took over last season um, that were, it was kind of like a question mark as to whether that would continue in, in this season. Right. Um, so far defensively largely hasn't held up Lake and Tomlinson playing better down the stretch has held up like he uh really is is made some some pretty big strides forward so he's playing well mcglinchy's been uh very good he's he's starting to get come around a little bit in pass protection but right now if you remove completely that just disastrous stretch at right guard that he had to fill in 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 week one there and look only at his snaps at tackle um he would be our second highest graded right tackle the third highest graded tackle overall so he's been playing very well. A lot of that has been due uh, to like just kind of some dominance in the run game. Like he's been playing very well there. Um, but again, the pass protection is coming around. He was really good this last week. Um, didn't allow a pressure, only was really beaten um, for, for an opportunity once. So uh, yeah, it, it's coming around. Like he's looking like a very good player uh, that you would hope out of a top 10 pick there. So I think that's kind of the one area um, that I think is is maybe the biggest bright spot of the team so far, and then getting them to go against uh, just a nightmare duo on the interior and, and Aaron Donald and Sue is uh, is going to be an interesting thing to watch, like how they really are able to handle those guys. Aaron Donald has absolutely dominated these games. I mean, he dominates What's new? It's Aaron Donald games, but like he's really uh, had some kind of monster pressure numbers against the 49ers the past couple seasons. So um, seeing if they can 
even come close to like trying to slow that down uh, will, will be interesting. Yeah, I'm looking at some of the guard numbers as well, because I also think Mike Person has had a, a fantastic year. Mike Person this year is the 18th highest graded guard in the NFL. He is graded just above the player that we wanted in free agency, Andrew Norwell, which I think is interesting. Uh, he's also graded above Will Hernandez, another another draft player that we thought could be good. And he's also graded way above Quentin Nelson. Quentin Qu- Nelson hasn't been no. uh, a generational prospect through six games. No, he hasn't. And, and this is, you know, I mean, this may be the theme of the show, but th- there's no sure thing in the NFL. And everyone thought that Quentin Nelson was going to be the sure yeah. thing. And he may still be very good, right? He may like, still be very uh, good, exactly. It, it, but it's, yeah, it, it's it, there's always a lot of unknown. You have to kind of account for that. Um, yeah, but so far, so, I think the the addition of of Mike Person has been great. And Mike Person, Mike McGlinchey, have been two very, very good players. And then you've got Joe Staley, who continues to, jo- to, who do, to do Joe Staley things. Lakin Tomlinson has continued to develop into the player that Detroit thought he would be when they drafted him as high as they did. And, and well, our center, hey, man, he's still better than... Uh, than Daniel Kilgore. I was going to say, to be fair, like, so Richburg to me has been, um, I think, a little disappointing, right? I, I think there was, uh, the last time that he was fully healthy, he was the best center in football. Um, he didn't seem like a great fit for what they were doing schematically with the Giants. It seemed like this was going to be a much better fit for him. To me, he hasn't really kind of lived up to that. I think he's really struggled. Um, he struggled in pass protection a lot more than you would really expect a, a lot of centers to. I mean, he gave up six pressures. Like, uh, I think it was Kenny Clark this week just kind of really got the better of him in a lot of snaps. And so that hasn't been great. But but to, to have that as your current weak link among your starting five um, is pretty damn good. Like, I think you, you're going to take that. I mean, there's not a ton of offensive lines out there right now that have five like very high quality players that are playing consistently um so i think where they're at right now has been very good and and is such a big improvement over what we've seen from this line in the past couple seasons um that you feel good about that especially i mean staley is the only one that's kind of you know getting up there a little bit in age like they should be able to kind of keep this group intact for for a little bit you know hopefully barring significant injury like this should be or a retirement. strength um, for, for them. You know, this is something you look to next season. We can kind of finally forget about the offensive line a little bit. Yeah, and that's going to be the one position group that I think Shanahan has, the, the first position group that he's remolded that has yes. that has had multiple positions that he's had to touch. Because, of course, I quarterback, mean, like, okay, you've got one guy. To you be fair, like, the, the receiving, receiving core, core has been, yeah. Uh, yeah, but even then. Cleaned house. And, and it wasn't, look, it was a low bar, but, like, obviously the guys they have in there right now are. are sure, but, but I think especially with the defensive lines that you're going to face, uh, namely the one we're going to face this Sunday. Totally. That's, that, that is the position group you needed to remold if you were going to have any hope of contending in the NFC West you had to have an offensive line that was going to be good and and that's what Kyle Shanahan's been able to do and, and so I think if you're looking for a path to victory for the Niners it's that they rely on the strength of the offensive line a position group they've remade and have remade successfully they're able to not necessarily stop Sue and Donald but they're able to at least contain them give CJ Beathard enough time to complete passes to a wide receiver Marquise Goodwin who has a matchup advantage against a secondary that has been underperforming and and all of a sudden you hopefully see them putting up points and and then you then have to deal with the the Rams offense and and that in and of itself is going to be a task but 
maybe there's a mistake a, a mistake or two that happens maybe they finally win the turnover battle because the Niners are the worst turnover team in football at this point on in large part because their secondary well can't stop people from catching the football let alone intercept one themselves <laughs> so so I think if you're looking for a script that's got to be it it's got to start with the offense putting up points against the Rams defense and then you know you hope for some kind of luck for the for the 49ers uh defense definitely I mean I think any any time like a major upset like that um you know that nobody really sees coming happens there's always kind of some fluky things right you get a special turnovers touchdown yeah you get some weird uh you know tip maybe goff throws like three tipped interceptions or something just bizarre like that that doesn't happen very often um i mean those are the things that really need to happen because yeah i mean we didn't even mention that in this last game i mean the fact that they were able to stay within three points of green bay and have multiple turnovers while not forcing any like is a miracle um it's just like insane that they were even able to do that so uh you can't though as a when when you're a worse team you're just simply you have no chance if you're turning no margin of error um yeah you have to be perfect you need some breaks to go your way to be competitive in a game like this um and, and so they have to get better on that front they can't turn the ball over and they yeah need some things to to kind of bounce their way all right, give me your final prediction then for the game. Uh, the The line is Rams minus nine and a half, almost 10 points. It's a lot of points, but the Niners are at home, and we hope they get a bounce of lady luck. Maybe they regress to the mean in terms of turnovers. I don't know what the hell happens, man, but uh, what do you think happens? Do, do, do the Niners cover? I don't think so, actually, yeah. even though that's, I mean, that's a lot of points. Um it, which usually is, you know, you, you kind of just you don't want to take the points whenever you're getting like near double digits like that makes sense. But uh, I, I think both offenses do well. I think this is another pretty high scoring game um, that gets up likely into the 30s. Uh, I, I think, though, the 49ers struggle a little bit more to keep up. I don't, I don't think um, they're able to quite move the ball as efficiently as they did last season. I, I think it's just like right now, C.J. Beathard. He has been better, like on the whole, this year than he was last year. Last year, he was very consistently, with the exception of the Giants game, was like his one kind of like break the mold game from last year. He was very strongly below average quarterback, right? Um, and, and so far, he's improved. He's raised that like baseline level a little bit, but I think it's still just like kind of unreasonable to expect him um, to suddenly be that, you know. 90 grade quarterback uh for for even a full game right couldn't even manage it last week for a full game so uh i think that's going to be tough i don't think they're going to move the ball as effectively on, on offense uh and so i'm going to say let's throw out like 38 to 24 yeah at this point i lose nothing by picking these games correctly i'm not putting any money on them i really don't care about accuracy at this point no. uh, i'm like cj bethard throwing left couldn't care less about accuracy. Uh, let's talk about uh, the Niners covering. Let's do this. Let's talk about it. Nice. I hope to be surprised. It's always better it's when these game. are entertaining. Yeah. Uh, I hope it's close. I hope that the, the Niners win because if they win and give the Rams their first loss, it's basically going to be our Super Bowl. And on that uplifting note, thanks for tuning in this week. You can always follow me at Better Rivals. Uh, David, where can they follow you? Uh, You can follow me at PFF underscore David. Tune in next week where Jared will be back to break down the Rams. Maybe win, maybe loss. Uh, And uh, and he returns after his, his hiatus for work. So thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Niners. Go Niners.
Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? And why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find this anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.